is episode 167 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again by the whole gang. Uh, Brad, Paul, Ryan, all here. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I'm digging out about eight inches of snow here in the Madison area. Did did you guys get anything at all down like in the Milwaukee area or anything like that? So over by the lake here, we got nothing. We had literally zero snow. I guess there was maybe a slight bit before like we even got up in the morning, but there was nothing. Uh, if you go like five miles to the west of us, if you go up the what is it that that intercontinental divide when you're heading up towards uh, Waukesha <laughs> County there, apparently they got dumped on. So we got nothing down by the lake, though. Really weird. I I guess it was going to happen sooner or later. I would much rather have your no snow than the eight to ten inches here in Madison. But, you know, it's December. I'll deal with it. And, Paul, I know you're in Minnesota, so I, I can't complain too much. It's snowing right now, so I'll let you know what happens when it's done. It <laughs> looks like it might be kind of a lot. Fun. All right. That's the worst well, part of working from home now is if, if, it, if there's 45 inches outside, they're going to be like, well, at least you have your laptop. <laughs> right yeah no, like are snow days done for kids like forever like do are they never having snow days ever again i don't know that's that's something no, there still will be snow days everybody hates distance learning like to a t mm-hmm. it, maybe right. it'll be more common for people to have to still do their homework because it's emailable or something i don't know but we're not having classes like that that's re- that's ridiculous yeah yeah snow days forever <laughs> hey, you gotta go let the kids drown in the white stuff outside you know yeah, exactly. All right. We are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing this week. You know their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA, but their entire lineup's great. You can try them all at their brewery on the east side of Madison. You can also get some cool Carbon 4 merch online at carbon4.com. Use our promo code MKE Tailgate, and you'll get 20% off your order when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support us on our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. For just $5 a month, our Ball and Glove and Above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini-pods previewing the Packers game every single week. So we are doing this a little bit later than normal, trying to get done before this Packer game starts, before yeah. they hopefully uh, <laughs> stomp the Lions. I'm not uh, nervous about the Packer game, but I, I was very confident in the Lion, or in the Packers stopping the Lions this week, and I feel like the NFL is warning me about my hubris with the Bear game right now. Who are, yeah. who, are, who are just laying it to the Texans, who are not a good team, but the Bears don't score points against anybody, so this is stupid. Right. Um, so right. now I'm not confident about anything anymore. The world makes no, sense. No, yeah. You were uncharacteristically, like, super confident on uh, how badly the Packers were going to beat the Lions. Didn't you say – what was your reasoning? Like, the the Bears put up 30 against them, so the Packers should put up, put up like, 60? Yeah, that's it. right. Yeah. put up twice as much. <laughs> I feel like the Packers losing to bad Lions teams is just – Something right. that happens every nothing, two years or something that happens in Detroit. And, Usually yeah. there's a reason for it, though. If they were like outside in the snow at Lambeau, I would be more on board with that happening if like there was something to to keep the Packer passing game in check. But that's not the case today. So there's no excuse for that. It would just be take weirdness. Um, weird, you know what? You know what else happened this week that maybe it was a warning shot. If you guys I doubt you saw it, why would you? The Arizona Arizona State game. I don't care which one won. So I forgot. <laughs> But one of them beat the other one 70 to 7. But the one that scored 70 gained fewer yards than the one that scored 7. Wait, what? And How the one that, that possible? The one that scored 7 had six fumbles, and all were, all six were recovered by the other side, which fumbles are statistically just pure luck on who recovers them. So just one of the weirdest stat lines you'll ever see on that game. 
Um, Crazy. Yes. All right. Randomness well, is undefeated. Yes. Well, I guess uh, crazy stat lines are a nice segue to our first topic of the day. So uh, not a whole lot of Brewers news to come out in the last week or so. There was there was uh, one roster move we'll get to in a little bit, but I want to start it off with uh, the Brewers' Zips projections came out in the last few days here over on Fangraphs. And, you know, we've been talking a couple of weeks now that if the Brewers are going to succeed next year, it's going to have to be pitching and run prevention. And I think the projections kind of back that up a little bit. If you go look at what they put together, uh, they are predicting kind of a bounce back for Christian Yelich, a projection of an OPS plus of 135, 4.3 war, which would be a very nice season, a lot better than this past year. Uh, They were going to need that bounce back from Yelich and uh, Lorenzo Cain because other than that, uh, as Dan pointed out in his post on FanCraft, not a single position is clearly above average outside of those two. So obviously... Brewers have some work to do this winter when it comes to adding some offense. Otherwise, you're looking at Yelich, Kane, and Luis Urias are your only bats projecting for more than two war. So uh, not not a great outlook here. But I guess, Ryan, we'll start with you. What caught your eye with the projections, whether it's good or bad? Yeah, I, nothing really it came out as terribly surprising here other than the fact that Josh Hader was comp to Mitch Williams. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit weird, not going to lie. Wild thing. Hader has been better than uh, Williams really ever was for any length of time, really. So, yeah, it's the biggest thing is I think it, it confirms a lot of what we already knew, which was the offense is in trouble without making some additions probably and or they're gonna have to get massive bounce backs that aren't necessarily predicted I mean we do see if you look at this they're expecting Avisel Garcia to have a reasonable bounce back year 269 328 428 so reasonably solid bounce back there from him and Omar Narvaez 245 337 399 either of those lines would be you know perfectly acceptable and in keeping with their history and I think there's there's some room for them to be even better than that as well but they're going to need to add some offense at the corners. We we need something from first base and third base, and I don't think they have it yet, though we're, we're hearing more and more that uh, I don't know if we talked about it last week or not. I can't remember, but they're saying now that the DH coming to the NL is less likely. I don't know if that's bluffing on ownership's part, trying to get the players to give them something for giving them the DL or not the DL, the DH. <laughs> I think the things that stick out to me, first of all, on uh, uh, on Omar Narvaez, he does have him projected as an, a fairly significant negative defensive player, which I think that that's just zips. Discounting recent improvement for past butchery, which is fine, but I would I suspect that, you know, the recent upgrades I think are real, and I think that those will stick. So he's, that projection is not as bad as I think it, it looks. Yeah, the things that stick out to me are just like that Keston Hira and Dan Vogelbach have the same war projection, which you don't want that. That's not good. <laughs> and and Avisael and and Mark Mathias have the same war projection. And again, you don't want that either. That's that's also not good. So uh, they are definitely they need to make some additions. I think we all know that, or get some bounce backs that are unexpected. But uh, I, I always just like to look at who who the garbage players are that are the same as the good players. That's uh those are the two that stuck out to me on here. For me, one that stands out is them projecting Christian Yelich's strikeout issues to kind of continue into the year the yeah. 150 strikeout projection is 
a career high for Yelich. I think 138 is his high. So it's not that different. But for a guy who historically has been pretty good when it comes to plate control, to have a 150 and then backing that up with Keston here is 184 would be 334 combined strikeouts from two guys that you need to be pretty important pieces of your offense. It makes me uncomfortable immediately going in. Yeah, I mean, it, like these projections kind of reinforce the idea that the Brewers are again going to struggle to make some contact. Uh, and, you know, I think, Ryan, you've talked about in the past too, like especially with Hira, it's it's the up in the zone stuff, right, that he's especially had trouble with. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. So Mike Curlin tweeted out this week uh, that Brewers, Keston Hira struggled with balls up in the zone. And if you look at some of these numbers, like he, he only had one hard hit ball up in the zone. Yeah, that's really troublesome <laughs> in an era where more and more pitchers are pitching up in the zone. This is not an era where guys are trying to, to go low so much as they're they're trying to take those high uh, spin rate four seamers and keep them up in the zone. Really looking up and in his whiff percentage is 61 percent. That is just absolutely up and away 65 percent. He is really going to have to do something. Now, there are adjustments that can be made on this. We saw, and I know we've talked about this before, and I hate to invoke the name of Mike Trout, but Mike Trout did do this. He had a problem with this in the second half of one of his seasons. Worked on it in the offseason, came back, and was great. I would presume that this is not something that is lost on here right now, that the coaches and the people uh, with the team are making him aware of this, or if he's not... aware of it himself already probably already knows about it from looking at you know various analytical sites this is not a secret that he has struggled with pitches up in the zone so hopefully he can target that this offseason and try to find something that will fix that it's probably a combination of needing to lay off those pitches a little bit more than he has and figuring out something with his swing that allows him to get to those pitches maybe make a slight tweak a slight adjustment that will help him be able to to make more contact on those pitches, but it's going to take a concerted effort to make that better. Yeah. And we'll just have to see if he can do it. Right. When we went into the off season, we talked about this. I think the thing about the tweet and analyzing that, what he did in the top of the zone is once you see the numbers, you're like, that is bad, but we knew it was bad. And in one of our first podcasts of the off season, we immediately said, at least there is a, focus area at least there's an area where the coaches can go Keston Hira can go and focus on getting better particularly at this point of his at bats so I, I think know. that's what's important where it's like you can focus on an improvement rather than just being like he just swings and misses a lot I also I think part of his struggles last year were actually working on it and I think that you saw that in all the times that you saw him lay off pitches right down the middle, part of laying off it is identifying it. And I think he got fooled still too many times on looking for that high pitch, laying off it and having just a, a, a seed come right down the middle where he should have just raked. But, you know, part of getting better at this is learning to tell the difference. And I, I do think, you know, that that problem for him is obviously well known. And part of the process is, you know, actually working on the string live at bats. Honestly, the fact that 2020 was such a stupid garbage season might end up playing in their favor in the long run because he did get to work on part of it against live opposition pitching for at least a substantial amount of time. Now they can go into the lab and work on it more. So it, I'm not going to say it's a good thing, but there's at least a path here to getting better. I mean, there's been plenty of players that have had this problem, and I think coaches understand how to how to fix it. You know, as long as people can actually pick up on the fact that it's happening. 
And Keston Hura has a history of being a good batsman. Like, he has hit every level he's ever been to, and even if it's taken him a little bit of time to adjust or whatnot, but he's eventually done it, that does just speak well to his the likelihood that he's going to be able to figure something out. But he's going to have to make a concerted effort. And, I mean, we talk about it a lot, but making adjustments midseason is incredibly difficult, especially when you're in a situation where even it, though you're doing very poorly, you're also one of the best contributors on the team. So the team can't take you out of the lineup on a regular basis. Right. So you can't. He had one off day to work on it. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, another thing, too, we, we talked about this, too, in the last year, too. There was no in-game video review. You know, like you couldn't go into the video room in the middle of the game and see like, hey, oh, that's what it looks like when it's going to go high. So I don't know. Maybe that that's part of his struggles, too. Like, you know, as, as we were saying, just kind of learning to recognize what it looks like and learning to lay off that. But, you know, there are a lot of factors at play here. And, and you guys have all mentioned that here in, a, in the past, you know, maybe he's taken a little while to adjust and then he speeds up and he catches up and, and all as well. So. I think it's definitely one of the major things that we're going to have to look for in this next year. Uh, but at the same time, like the projections weren't all that bad. Yeah, they project him for 184 strikeouts, but also 28 home runs and 600 plate appearances, which would be like second highest on the team. So, Jose Hernandez to you, bring him aboard. Right. Yeah. I was going to say either him or, uh, you know, this stat line looks very Dan Ugly-ish back in the day where <laughs> he'd hit in the low 200s, but he'd hit 30 home runs and give you bad defense at second base. I don't know. But, you know, those adjustments are going to be the difference between him being Dan Ugly and him being an actual all-star performer. Ugly was an all-star? How dare you? That's true. That's true. He landed what? a massive contract, too. <laughs> I, I I should tread lightly with the Dan Ugla hate for sure. Dan Ugla was my two thousand late two thousands fantasy hero. Yeah, absolutely. He is, uh, he is the I think one of the quintessential second base prospects, and I think he it's not a bad comp for here. He's like those guys of the past, like he, he is sort of the Carlos Bayerga Dan Ugla type. So that path for him it would not be that surprising. Nice. Yeah, I was not expecting a Carlos Baerga reference, but, you know. Going <laughs> with, uh, the pioneer with, of the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. For keeping up the theme with uh, Dan's weird comps, we'll, we'll go, go with that. Yeah, that's great. Um, on the pitching end, things obviously look a little bit better. You know, Dan's projecting Woodruff and Burns for another really s- strong couple of seasons. Both project for more than two war. Tips in the three sevens or so. Actually kind of uh, more optimistic on... Adrian Hauser and Josh Lindblom too, which is kind of nice to see after seeing them struggle a little bit in the in 2020. Some of that's probably just kind of regression in the underlying metrics too. You know, we've especially with Hauser, we've talked about kind of the underlying stuff doesn't always match the results and how confusing that can be. But I guess uh, Brad on the pitching end, was there anything that caught your eye? Yes, absolutely. I get that Devin Williams almost in no way, shape, or form can sustain what he did this year. But projecting a 373 FIP in 67 innings for Devin Williams and a 349 ERA it yeah. really shocked me. And I get a lot of that is having minimal data to plug into zips right. uh, when, you're, when you're taking that data and really putting it in. There are a lot of variables for what it can do. And I'm sure when you're looking at the outcomes, there's probably some that look very much like this season. And then some that look very much like his first season, when you combine them together, this is the outcome you get as the most likely outcome when you're running the model. However, it just is hard for me to see when you're banking on things like 
Christian Yelich's strikeout issues are going to continue. Yeah. How can you throw out success so easily, but hold on to failure so much more? And I get it. It's easier to fail than it is to succeed. That's just a fact of life. It's a fact of baseball. It's how things are. But when you're looking at this, I, I think that's the one that stands out the most. I can see things like Josh Lindblom improving to have a four five eight ERA, which is what you kind of want from him. I can see Adrian. I think Adrian Hauser can absolutely improve. All he has to do is get a change up and not get smashed by lefties. <laughs> like <laughs> easy, uh, easy in thought, but hopefully something where they've had success developing pitchers easy in action. I can see improvements in there, but seeing the, what feels like a drastic decline in Devin Williams projected performance, I think is the one that were really made me take a second and like, look at this, like, really, that's what you're going for. That's what you think is going to go wrong. Yeah. So what's interesting about his projection is they do have him as still being a strikeout monster, 95 yeah. strikeouts and 67 innings projected. What they also have though, is him walking 37, which would be more than a batter every other inning. And that would be, that would be problematic. Like that is hard for a, a guy to work around. And all it takes then is a little bit of, of uh, bad home run luck and, uh, or, you know, just BABIP luck and things can go and not disastrous because with that many strikeouts and with his overall proclivity for generating bad contact, which I think we've sort of established as an inner skill that he does possess is, is to generate poor contact. But it doesn't take that much for the ERA to climb up somewhat, at least. So I can see that. I don't think I would I would definitely take the under on those numbers. But in terms of the the strikeout rate and the the FIP, I would take the under. But I don't think it's insane. And we just don't have that long a track record with him either. But you look through his career and the only time his walk rate hit that high was aside from his very first pro appearance or pro half season in 2018 when he came back from Tommy John. Otherwise, it has never been five per nine. Well, projection yeah. systems also struggle by their nature with huge like seasonal outliers like Devin Williams had. I mean, right. he basically had the greatest pitching season for reliever kind of ever, <laughs> and it's not going to do very well with that. It's It's going to see a lot of luck in that even if there's not a lot of luck in that and it's going to project them to, as a baseline to come back a little bit i mean that's why it doesn't project many teams to have you know like 100 x wins and that's why mike trout's projection is never quite as good as mike trout is so i would also take the under on that hugely um i also wonder if it might struggle a little bit with with players who have change-ups that make them dominant it's a little bit unusual yeah. the way he goes about dominating and like i mentioned before like uh, before last uh, last week Guys who dominate like him usually throw gas. And not that he doesn't. He does throw gas, but they dominate with their gas. And those guys tend to give up home runs when they have contact made, kind of give up big contact. The, the profile he has where you give up weak contact with lots of strikeouts is pretty rare. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if uh, the, the system sees his strikeout rate, makes an assumption about the kind of pitcher he is, and drives up some other numbers as a result of that. And we should note in the zips or in the uh, zips projection, he's still projected to have the second highest ERA plus on the entire team. Yeah, right. So it's not still, like they're giving him a bad projection. I think what they're doing really is just favoring 2019 statistics in general over 2018 st- or, or uh, 2020 statistics. That's too. Right. And putting a yeah. little bit more weight in that. 
Yeah, and that's why his numbers look more like what he did in a very short appearance in 2020 or 2019 than absolute dominance in 2020. And again, if anyone's expecting Devin Williams to go half a season and not only give up a run, <laughs> yeah, no, that just is a lot of luck went into a lot of skill. I'm not taking away from what Devin Williams can do, but also a lot of luck goes into that. It does. And we should also not be too confident in our own hubris that 2020 was weird. Like he had a great season, but it was a weird short season. And Zips might be right. That's a good projection for a relief pitcher. It's just not a greatest pitcher of all time projection for a relief pitcher. <laughs> And it's, right. you know, that's entirely possible that that is, in fact, what he does. Although that, if he hits that walk number, I'll be shocked. Well, and the other thing is the last we saw of Devin Williams, he was hurt. So we know that he has True. Good point. He has worked his way through it and is going to report to camp on time. By all appearances, this is a blip and it hasn't uh, it hasn't led to like long term consequences. But we'll have to see it. It's never good when pitchers start getting hurt. And he does have a history. He already had Tommy John surgery. So you just kind of have to hope on that. From what we remember with Devin Williams injury, though, is I, if we're, I would be much more worried about the Corbin Burns injury than Devin Williams. By all accounts, Devin Williams was going to be ready for the next series. It yeah. was uh, Corbin Burns was the one where maybe the World Series and it was related to his pitching arm. Well, Williams was a shoulder, right? It was a I thought it was the other way around. Yeah, I, I think with this projection stuff, too, I think Devin Williams is a good one to pull out just to as a reminder that these projection systems are only as good as the numbers you put in. And with a guy like Devin Williams, there's not a whole lot of major league track record there. And his minor league track record is spotty, you know, because of all of those injuries and a projection. Almost. One injury. <laughs> well, I mean, but, you know, he, he had a significant sidetrack of his development in his career. And he, and he ended up being something despite not being what maybe we thought he would be at the start. Did some quick research, by the way. Ryan was right. Shoulder soreness for Williams. Oblique injury for Corbin Burns. Obliques are the worst. But yeah, like I was going to say too with Devin Williams, I, I the projection systems don't understand or have no way of knowing when a guy like Williams develops an awesome pitch out of nowhere too. that kind of just totally reinvents the kind of pitcher that that guy is. So, you know, like zips would look at his crazy low 194 BABIP last year and be like, that's a fluke. Come on. Which is why probably why it projects more normal for a 297 BABIP this upcoming year. But we know having like seen him and watching him that sure, he's not going to have a sub 200 Babbitt forever, but it's maybe a little bit more sustainable than, than the projection system thinks. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, we've got uh, some Patreon questions reg regarding these two. So our first question comes from PJ Wessels. Zips had Luis Urias and Lucas Ursig splitting time at third base as of now. Uh, kind of a sign that they need to go and sign somebody to play third base. And Hira and Urias splitting time at second, and Vogelbach and Hira splitting time at first. So his question is, which would you rather have, Ursic playing third base or Hira playing first, Paul? I, I guess Hira playing first because it means Ursic isn't playing third. <laughs> That's my answer. I, I don't yeah. think he's good enough to do that. No. And neither scenario is good, but that's the one that's preferable because there's a major league player involved in it. So, um, yeah, that, they definitely need to, to add some corner stuff. Um, corner, corner bats all around, please, um, and fix that problem because 
I know Dan made those assumptions. You know, he made it for a reason. <laughs> um, so hopefully they add. Hopefully it's better than last time they tried this. And I don't know. I, I, I'll be cheering from the rafters if they actually sign anybody decent to play out there. But I kind of doubt they will. Ursig is not going to be a significant contributor to this team. No, he's unless not. something completely out of left field happens. This is there's no indication to believe that he is going to be on the roster or contribute. If he if the team thought he was that good, they would have put him on the 40 man, right? Like they would have not left him exposed to the uh, rule five. Right. Yes, correct. So, yeah. And and speaking of the rule five, we did talk about that a lot on the minor league extra, which is available to people who are who are Patreon subscribers. Nothing happened for the Brewers like they didn't lose anybody. They didn't take anybody. So, (laughs) yeah, no surprise. But yeah, we, we did discuss that. So. And what we're looking at here is Dan recognizing that this is an offensive assembly of what they're currently working with that favors platoons. Right. Ursig is the only other guy who really plays third base in the system, and he's a lefty, so he automatically got slotted in to play third base. Right. I think there's a chance Ursig could eventually have some value to this organization. However, right now, that's highly unlikely. But... So Hero playing first to give Urias more time and then also rest Vogelbach when Dan needs to not hit against lefties is a much more likely scenario than them playing a guy who just can't (laughs) probably play at the major league level right now. So, and you're also looking at a weird situation. Like I'm trying to think about that time split. So the idea would be, Hero plays first, Urias plays second, and that's the righty lineup. But if Urias is playing second and Hero are playing first, then you need Ursig at third. So then you're playing a bad left-handed bat against a left-hander. They need help. Yeah, exactly. They really need help. Uh, There's a reason why Dan suggested uh, Justin Turner or Jock Peterson as signings for the Brewers, because that would help alleviate a lot of the problems on the corner. Yeah, Justin Turner does make a lot of sense in that he can play both first and has played or sorry, he's played third and has played some at first is my understanding. So he would make sense from that perspective. I don't know if the Brewers want to bring him in. Apparently, the the thing with him at the end of the World Series has sort of become water over the dam and not a a long term concern for teams. But I don't know. That was it was just a really bad look. Sign DJ LeMayhew, you cowards. Yeah, especially because the Yankees apparently aren't going to. So, yeah. Somebody Sign DJ LeMayhew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah. I, that- I promise to only use it once per stream or else I will get kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. I mean, it. in that scenario, there's not any good options. You know, Jed Jerko is still in the in the projections he, he'd be nice to still have around but you know well don't completely write him off yeah. there's a good chance he comes back yeah i mean i, I would be fine with jed jericho coming back yeah if we add another player who can actually like add significant offense too like jed right. jericho coming back i don't think is the worst case scenario for the brewers i think it's fine it's just they i believe they think they could pay him less combined with the option yeah but I they agree. still need to add another good offensive player or or they're betting on re- regression in 2020 not being substantial as we talked about right before we start returning 
like I, they're betting on there's no way Avi and Omar can be that bad again, right? <laughs> right. But, you know, like he, you have the hopefully positive regression for those guys, but then you have guys like Arcia who you don't know if they're going to regress back to being. No, but then you hope Urias is ready yeah, to take exactly. a step forward. And Zips has Arcia projected at one war, which would be his the second highest of his career. Jeez, I didn't realize his war numbers for that. He hasn't really been that good of a hitter. He looks a lot better than he actually is. All right, and his defense has gotten worse. He's young and he's fun, so people love him, but then he doesn't do anything and no one actually cares. He hits the ball really, really hard, really not high, which, ugh. Those are the type of players that, all right, so this is not an Arcia hate rant, but I look back at Brewer's history, and here is a group of fans who despised Ricky Weeks because he couldn't, hit but then when he did hit there wasn't like any forgiveness given but they love Arcia without fail and he's never really done anything to earn it except for like a couple really cool looking defensive plays and like a home run in the playoffs right but there's... no and owning the Cubs in Wrigley yeah. in important yeah. games I mean when you look at like the cumulative he doesn't actually have like a substantial backing that like people should be mad if you're going to be mad at a guy who, who is an all-star second baseman, you should then be mad at the guy who has never lived up to expectations. And I don't really want to encourage being mad at a player ever because that's stupid. They're just trying to do, they're all out there trying to do their best theoretically. And you're not actually paying for them. Who cares? Look, if you but, need a guy to hit a solo shot during a no hitter, whether down 10, nothing, he's very valuable. But <laughs> <laughs> if you need anything else, he's really not. I, 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 Paul, I know you're, you're big on that, but you know, RC is close in late stats this year. We're very, very good. You know, uh, 20, late <laughs> whatever. If what we need is his, his far and late stats to compare those two. <laughs> we need now, to those. I feel like now is a good time for a sidebar. Paul, are those gigantic starbursts behind you? What? Oh, let's in the red and yellow wrappers? No. Oh, okay. Not. This is a this is a Raspberry Pi that I'm using to build something with, and this okay. is the power source for it. So okay, no. all right, never mind. They look like giant, like co- comically large starbursts, <laughs> like from this angle. <laughs> Uh, and it was very much distracting me because the red one makes me like drool. I know a lot. There's a lot of red haters, but I really like the red starburst. Just, just, like in, a, case, just in case Ryan leaves this in the podcast, a Raspberry Pi is a computer on circuit board that you can use yeah, to yeah. for technical tasks. There's not a literal Raspberry Pi <laughs> with the power. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, he is lying to you. He has an open <laughs> windowsill. There's a man floating in the air, drifting towards the smell. I see it. He is a liar. <laughs> All right. Baseball? Yeah, yeah. Let's put a bow on the zip stuff. I mean, basically, the the TLDR of that is uh, the offense stinks. The pitching's better. Uh, they're still projected to have one of the top three or four best bullpens in the league. Uh, there you go. I guess speaking of the bullpen, you know, we mentioned that Corey Knebel traded to the Dodgers. Uh, it was announced as a player to be na- named later or cash. I think we all assumed it was cash because it's the Brewers and they want money. But lo and behold, they got an actual, like, breathing human being back for Corey Knebel. Uh, They got lefty Leo Crawford back in exchange. He was a Rule 5 eligible guy who was not picked in the Rule 5 draft. And that kind of just leads us straight into a Patreon question from Asilatam, specifically asking Brad, is Leo Crawford a good return for the player to be named later in the Knebel trade? What do we know about 
this is a yes and no answer. Uh, so Corey Knebel was going to leave for absolutely nothing. Right. The team got an asset, an asset that based on his skill set, softer throwing lefty, good changeup, kind of a relief setting, and a pretty good history in the minors is something the team has had success with before. So it's not disappointing in that regard. He's only had a very small taste of triple A ball. Really, he's just spent a lot of time at double A when it, you look at his ceiling for playing. But all in all, not the most disappointing return when it comes to what you're working with. Pretty good numbers, high strikeout run rating, low walk. View him as a higher, or higher ceiling. Um, why can't I remember his name? The guy I hate because he should be a draft pick. Alex Claudio. Alex Claudio. Okay. <laughs> I think he's a higher ceiling Alex Claudio. But All very right. much in the same So you thing. didn't go with the Brent Suter comp there. Yeah. A lot of people have been going with the Brent Suter comp, but I don't think it is the same when I look at it. I get like he uses deception. He's a soft-throwing lefty, and people are like, Brent Suter. But I think more Alex Claudio when you're looking at it. Okay. He doesn't have like the same arm slot as Alex Claudio, but uh, when you're looking at how his pitches are effective, I think that's a more accurate look at comp or at comparison but when you're looking at what teams get for players like Corey Knable that's where the answer is a no Corey Knable is a good reliever even though he has a couple of years I mean he missed all of 2019 he had an up and down 2020 he is a good reliever and we know he has the capability of being a good reliever which is why the Dodgers wanted to pay him money again we mention it every week no one wanted to pay Brad Hand and Brad Hand was the other player with Devin Williams on the all MLB second team. Yeah. But the Dodgers are willing to pay, go to arbitration with Corey Knable. So he is obviously worth something. And in the past, those players, as bad as they may be recently, as long as they have a good track record, have been worth something of note. And Leo Crawford really isn't something of note. So it's a good return in that, yes, they got something when the option was to get nothing. And it's something that they've had success in using as an asset previously, but they should have gotten, they could have gotten more in different settings for a player like Corey Knable. Or they could have just gotten Knable. Yeah, that, or you could have got Corey Knable, and then you have, uh, oh, let me check this, uh, ceiling of elite MLB reliever. <laughs> Sounds disappointing. Why don't we get the guy who's ceiling? It's Alex Claudio. <laughs> I do think it's a little, it's a, just taking a step back at this a little bit, uh, I know that they were going to cut him, and we've been looking at it through the lens of that they were going to not tender, they were going to get rid of him, and so they got something back. I do wonder if they maybe made a mistake by not going through the process, getting you know terms agreed to via whatever, RB or buying them out, and then trading him, and maybe getting more suitors with you know knowing what the actual price is going to be on him, and not... Mm -hmm. You know, having better leverage with you know the the option of maybe we'll keep him and then you'll get nothing, huh? Um, it, it seems like it's poorly played by the Brewers in terms of managing assets. Um, and it, maybe there's no trade market for him, and you end up with you know having to keep him. But that's not the worst problem in the world. That's okay. It's not that. I mean, I know they don't want to pay the money clearly, but you got to take a little bit of risk sometimes. And if you're going to get better cheap assets back, maybe that's one that you should have done. Yeah, I mean, the issue here is that Knable has a season and a half of saves on his resume, and that is uh, arbitration gold. <laughs> that's that's what those guys really fight for. It's why Josh Hader got so much comparatively in his first run through. I think he was the highest paid reliever ever in their first uh, run through arbitration, first or second highest paid ever. 
So it, the saves are what get you that uh, that big bounce. That's just the way it works. Yeah. But I think there would there was argument for him to not really increase much based on missing a season and the, his performance this year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the baseline is already high. I mean, well, yeah. comparatively. Well, what it was projected by MLB trade rumors to be like five and a quarter million. Yeah. Something like that. somewhere yeah, between yeah. five and six. I mean, I don't think judging the Brewers based on how all other MLB teams as in general go about their business. I don't really think it's something where like we need to sit and focus on how bad they screwed up here. I think every other MLB team or, or most other MLB teams in the same situation would have done the same thing to get financial savings. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to sit here and look at the Brewers who have been concerned with cost savings in the past, whether we agree with that as fans or not, and really ha- like degrade them for making that decision when it's just an organizationally the accepted decision. I mean, we were looking at Corey Knable as a likely non-tender before the non-tender deadline. We all agreed that it was a, a likely situation based on him having a very, very up and down 2018 he had a fantastic September and great playoffs, but that was all that was good about his season. And then missed 2019, had a bad 2020. Yeah. A team totally. doesn't want to pay $6 million for a risk at this moment. I think any other season, Corey Knable's still on the roster uh, with a chance to get cut if they don't see improvements in spring training. But, it, and I just, as much as I'm normally the guy who says, bah, owners didn't spend money, bah, 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 bah. as much as I'm normally that guy, in this point, judging them on an even plane with all their organizations, I just don't think we can really lambast them for this decision. Sure. It's in keeping with the league right now. It There's is. no argument that it, it is perfectly in keeping with what's going on in the league right now. That's just unfortunate. Yeah. Well, speaking of baseball being cheap and trying to cut where possible, uh, <laughs> we did in the last week kind of figure out finally who the affiliates for each team are going to be. Well, I guess not officially, Right, like, what was it? Invitations were extended to be part of the minor league system. I don't. Did you guys listen to the Effectively Wild podcast? Yes. On Friday about this, and Meg Rowley had a good thing. Is like it sounded like a really bad party, and somebody should have said like, "This is insensitive, and you shouldn't do this." And it was a very good point. And well, did you listen to the minor league extra yet, James? I have not yet. No. Oh, okay, because yeah, we I compared it to uh, giving up the rose on The Bachelor. Yeah. Somebody actually did that. Was it was it it was the St. Paul Saints that they had like a rose on home plate like they were chosen and it went it was bad. So basically uh we know that the Brewers are gonna have uh their normal uh, affiliates in Carolina. They're keeping Biloxi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh yep. But the triple A uh round of musical chairs lands on Nashville again, which uh, I'm sure Doug Melvin is sounds awkward static about. Yeah. Uh, but the Brewers are back with Nashville, at least for the time being. So it was funny in the press release that Nashville put out from their general manager. They mentioned David Stearns by name. Uh, they mentioned uh, David Stearns and Mark Atanasio. I couldn't help but wonder if that was a, I don't know, a shot at Doug Melvin or like a recognition that there was bad blood there, but that was the old guy, not the new guy that we have a good relationship with David Stearns and Mark Atanasio. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Brewers are back at Nashville. That leads us to uh, Jay Google's Patreon question. 
He's asking, are Nashville and Milwaukee a long-term thing, or is the AAA home going to rotate in a few years again? I guess, Ryan, what's your take? So my understanding from listening to, and again, I mentioned this on the Minor League Pod, and I'll do it again here, listen to J.J. Cooper, because he is the one who knows everything about this. He did a great podcast about this on, on Baseball America. You can go back and listen to it from this week. My understanding is that what they're signing up for are 10-year contracts. These contracts haven't even officially been given yet because they're still trying to work out like the last thing with Fresno is the 120th team. Yeah. And so the contracts aren't even out They're They're apparently going to go out sometime in like January, maybe February even. So when those contracts go out, it's going to be for 10 year agreement, which means we're going to see teams stay much more static than they did in the past. So I don't think we're going to see shuffling. The Brewers always wanted Nashville because Nashville's close. Nashville's convenient. Mm-hmm. It's among the closest. I mean, functionally, what Nashville for flight wise is basically six and one half a dozen the other to what uh, Indianapolis. They're about the same. Yeah, yeah. So they they're perfectly they're perfectly fine with having Nashville as their their team. And Nashville was a, a free agent after there was a another shuffling of things going on with that. So yeah, I don't expect to see this be a rotating thing. One other thing we should note here too, is that uh, they did flip basically all of a ball and mm-hmm. all of high a ball. So yeah. the timber Rattlers are now a high a team, whereas before they were a low a team and the Carolina Mudcats will be a low a team, whereas before they were a high a team. And that's, Essentially, you know what I found out from listening to more stuff and more discussion of this was that apparently the weather thing, Brad, was a big factor in that. All right. Well, uh, that's that's the tease. We talk about this in great detail on the minor league extra. (laughs) Pay your five dollars. Go listen to Ryan and I have incredibly intelligent conversations. But I think the important thing when it comes to answering Jay's question is pay five dollars and go listen to the minor league extra, (laughs) which Jay did. Jay, Jay, Jay does. Jay does. I, I just want everyone else to encourage it too, because it's pretty great. Uh, I think it, it really highlights one of our best hosts and really gets them more talking time. Ryan. Oh. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but no, uh, it, when we're looking at Nashville, as Ryan said, it, it's going to be a long-term thing and it's in MLB's hand now. It's not a bunch of teams negotiating for the rights to organizations anymore with the contract negotiation they were going over. MLB has taken significantly more control of the organizations. They can still fight it in a way like Fresno is, but now it's more or less play by our rules or you're gone. So teams actually have significant more say. So when teams want to move, I'm assuming that they can move and work out organizational swaps with other organizations that put them in a better place, but it won't be teams playing musical chairs. And then the brewers, for some reason, always being the last stupid kid looking there and then taking the chair. That's like in the worst competitive positioning. It's going to be a lot better now, Uh, not for the minor league teams, but for development purposes for major league organizations. Uh, and w- us like panicking every year about like, oh my God, are they going to end up in the one place that's worse for hitting home runs than Colorado Springs? No. <laughs> By the way, the launching pad I was thinking of on the minor league extra was Lancaster. Lancaster, because oh. they have like 50 mile an hour winds that blow the ball like out of the park on the, the drop of a hat. So that was the place was I was it? talking about. So the fear was when they left Colorado Springs, wasn't one of them, the fear was that they were going to go to Fresno or Sacramento? Fresno, because it's so far away. 
yeah right but then they also didn't like because it really isn't that much better when it comes to home runs than colorado springs is i feel like reno's always been uh or albuquerque has always kind of been criticized too the topes yeah yep they're bad uh vegas is a launching pad there's a lot of places in the pcl that are absolute launching pads and then there's places in the pcl that are absolutely you know dead like all the major league stadiums you think about the major league stadiums on the west coast they're pretty much all pitchers parks like Mm -hmm. universally they're pretty much all pitchers parks i think nashville is one of the few places that isn't it's not a bad hitters place but when you compare it to the other pacific coast league stadiums it's not quite the hitters haven that the rest of the league is it's like the one place where you're like, oh, it's actually like kind of normal to hit here. Well, I would Versus- hope, considering they built that stadium like six years ago when park effects and all that stuff was really well understood. So you would yeah. hope that they like researched it and figured out what would be a good environment for this to be set up in. Yes. The te- like organizations are still bringing their walls in 10 feet and pushing them back 10 feet for new ballparks because they got that down. Well, at least they're not doing it in the game like Bill Vec used to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's always been like one of the like you should have like a mastery on the physics of how these are going to work. And I get it. You're putting them in new locations and that changes some environmental factors that you don't always consider. But like the Marlins were like, they'll push the fence out 20 feet and they'll be like, oh, no, we ruined it. And then they'll pull it back 30 feet and they're like, oh, why did we make it worse than it was originally? God. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the Marlins, the Beloit snappers, well, Soon to not be the snappers, but the Beloit team to be named later. Also now uh, Marlins affiliate. So that's random. That's really weird to me in that I think there's still a chance that they might name the snappers. They're more or less pulling the community. Like, do you want to change your name? Nobody wants to like it. That's the thing. Nobody actually wants to change the name, but somebody thought they had to get in this weird, stupid team name craze. So they wanted to do polls to change the name. And everybody's like, the snappers are friggin' fine. It's if fine. it's not Bodie McBoatface, Beloit has failed us all. Yeah. The Beloit Bodie McBoatface is Finn. We won. <laughs> but that's two Oakland affiliates we just mentioned where Oakland has new teams. Yeah. So if you want more on the minor league affiliate shakeup, like Brad so eloquently pitched, <laughs> go sign up $5 a month. You get the minor league extra podcast. One last Patreon question this week before we go. It's from Adam Post. What ballpark food do you most look forward to having to having the next time you're in Miller Park or slash, I guess now American Family Field? Paul? If they have if they they should do this. And if they bring back the pulled pork nachos, not the pulled pork nachos, the pulled pork parfait. Yes. Um, I'm down with that. That that's my favorite thing that they've ever had at the park. <laughs> and I, I don't think they have it right now and haven't for a few years, but um they need to bring it back and then I will go there. Other than that, not too ex- like I like nachos there. I like the normal stuff, but like a lot of the upgrades to the park recently have been just restaurants in Milwaukee that are better if you go to the restaurants in Milwaukee and not the park. So the food's like the beer's good. Like I like having a beer at a game. Secret Stadium sauce is lovely, but the only actual food item that draws me there is that thing. So uh, that's that's all that I'm on board for. Bring it back. Do it. Yeah, they do have the cheese brat. Now that you mentioned that, the cheese brat I do enjoy. That is that is solid, and I will get one of those in the first game back. But the thing I'm really looking forward to, and it's not a food, but it counts because it's it's carbs. Uh, the Leinen Kugel's uh, Barrel Man, which is only available <laughs> at the stadium, that that I'm looking forward to because I haven't didn't get to have one this last year. So yeah, Barrel Man's good. I agree. Yeah, beer it's a solid good. beer. Yeah, 
I almost always buy the brats because I'm like, hey, I'll buy the cheapest option. $7 per brat? Yes, please. <laughs> and like trade it over the counter while willing. But probably the one thing that I get when I'm willing to fork out 15 to $18 is the, are the cheese fries. Uh, actually, I'm going to change that. I prefer the nachos. I never get the helmet because it's not worth paying like 10 extra bucks just for the helmet. Just get the, get the normal nachos, pay the 12 bucks for that. Don't pay the 25 for the helmet. Unless you got a kid who really wants it, then whatever. Do whatever you need to to satiate your kids so you can enjoy baseball. I get it. But yeah. <laughs> I enjoy the, the shredded chicken on the nachos. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. That's one that my yeah. wife and I can kind of agree out and we can share that. And it works out to be a, a good dinner if we didn't have a chance to, to grab dinner before heading to the park. Their nachos are shockingly easy to eat with forks. And for nachos not being a thing that really are easy to eat with forks, it's kind of a weird happenstance. <laughs> True. Yeah, no, I, I definitely eat it with a fork, It, especially when they put all that stuff on top of it and you will get all soggy and whatever. Yeah, you, you need the yeah. fork to dig through it and properly apportion your, your ratio of sauces and meats to chips. Yeah, but ratio. Also beer. Their beer selection has gotten very strong in recent years. Yeah. Oh, big fan of the... Uh, pavilion out in uh in right field the, on the craft one yeah the craft, really the craft beer booth. Uh, they, they need they do need to add another one and i do wonder with um miller's influence waning a little bit on the park if that might happen in the not too distant future because i do think that's always been a bit of a a tricky relationship with having craft beer in there I well i can i can share this now that miller is out of the picture when we signed up with carbon four Steve is the one who who made that deal with Carbon Four way back when, and he was told specifically do not pitch going over to that to that stand because the brewers told all of the people that were providing beer to it, and Carbon Four was one of them. At least at one point, I don't know if they still are, but at one point they were. They were told if you promote it, we'll draw Miller's attention, and Miller could get really mad at us, and we have to keep Miller happy. So basically, we were told not to do that, and. I, yeah, I would guess that that is not an issue really anymore. So the pod is looking for a new sponsor. And if you're okay with sponsoring the pod, <laughs> just kidding. I trust Ryan's judgment when it comes to sharing that type of information. The bit was just there. Uh, yeah. But even at the like uh, little uh, drinking pavilions, they're like tall boy cans. They have uh, some lakefront options. Mm-hmm. Even that's gotten better. It's just if you buy at the brat stand where it's like summer shandy or Miller light that's for some reason tastes like soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen the, uh, the beer, the, the lines that shoot the beer from the, like that central room. If you've done the yeah. Miller park tour. Yeah. Yeah. It, I've, I've watched it and I'm like, this is not good. This is not the way, this is not the way the good Lord intended beer to be distributed. Uh, nope. <laughs> that is the same line that my jetted tub uses to get the water from the jets. And those suckers constantly fill with mold. So I can only imagine what's coming out of the crappy beer. John yeah, I mean, Taffer from Bar Rescue is about to have a conniption. <laughs> <and be> a- <laughs> Let's get John Taffer at Miller Park. <laughs> I, I always imagine that they don't clear the line. So right now there's 2019 Miller Lite just sitting in there waiting for the first patron to walk. <laughs> Mother of God. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they take it out for the winter. Oh, God, they oh, would they have to. They definitely do. They that would, yeah, that would do. be they horrible. They know what they're doing. Uh, and it, I'm they sure it's very to. sanitary. But uh, every time I go and if I get like a Miller Lite on opening day because I'm like, ah, the beer thing's busy because it's opening day and I'm already here getting brought. Just give me a Miller Lite. And then I taste it. I'm like, why is it still soapy? <laughs> Run the line more. God. 
Just give me my $9 summer shandy. It's fine. <laughs> I'll, oh, I'll take that. Totally. Yeah. See, this is one uh, of the great advantages of being in section 422 is that right behind us is a full bar that has not all of the beers that they would have down at the, the, the pavilion down there, but the, uh, they definitely have barrel man and they have a few other things besides just the, uh, the big macro lights. Pro tip. If you get in half an hour before the game, your food, if you're just going to buy like the general vendor food and you're not going to go to like a specialty restaurant or anything like that, don't buy your brat and taco at the downstairs thing. Take the escalator all the way up to 400 because the lines are almost non-existent because everyone's buying the food right away once they walk in. If you go upstairs, all the way upstairs, the lines are significantly shorter unless there's something specific you want. That's the only other time. But they also have on the fourth floor, if you're more particular about beer, you can get a lot of beer options at those sliding door refrigerators Mm -hmm. uh, that they have with the little like kind of like airport style pop-up vendor. Yep. Well, fingers crossed at some point next year, we can all get to Miller Park and enjoy our $12 beers and our cheese fries. So all good. Reminder, you sign up to become a patron. You get question priority on this podcast, uh, $5 a month. And we do have a new patron to shout out this week, Ryan, don't we? Mm -hmm. That we do. We have Anthony Martin, who already asked a question on the minor league pod. So welcome, Anthony. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Nice. Getting to it right, right and early. Thank you, Anthony. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for paying $5 to listen to us on the Minor League Pod Extra. If you become a $5 patron, you do get to listen to the Minor League Extra and Reporting as Eligible Mini Podcast, which are all fantastic and are worth the $5. Please give us money. <laughs> <laughs> bobblehead drawings in two days, people. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bobblehead drawings. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. So if you sign up for that $5 level, you're automatically randomly entered into the bobblehead drawing. Paul's got three of the Wisconsin MVPs. So Christian Yelich, Giannis, or uh, Aaron Rodgers, you get one of those. And what was what was the order of preference there, Paul? Like you pull a number and you can pick the first one or something uh, like if that? You're the, if you are the first person drawn, you'll get priority on what you pick. And second, nice. same thing. And third, you're left with whatever's left. So There you go. So, yeah, just a couple more days to do that. Hopefully, you're listening to this podcast right away when it drops on Monday. At least it'll be one day away. And if you're okay. listening to it later in the week, then you missed your chance. <laughs> there you go. So all, all the more reason to sign up. Uh, in the meantime, if you have something else you want us to talk about, we do put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. Just reply to that tweet with your question. Or you can follow each of us individually. Ryan is at RDTop. Paul is at Badger Noonan, Brad is at Brew Crew Blue, and I am at James L. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else you listen to your podcasts while you're there. Leave us a review so other people can find the podcast as well. Uh, We're going to wrap it up here for this week, but we will be back next week. Thank you all for listening, and stay well. We'll see you next time on The Walking Tailgate. Uh, speaking of the bullpens, uh, the Brewers did 
end up trading Tori Knable before the non-tender deadline, like we were talking about before. <laughs> Which of you two is this? <laughs> me. Not me. That's my cat. <laughs> that, would, that would be Bojangles. He's come down to announce his presence with authority. Uh, I, that's the that's the name of the podcast now. Is that's my cat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I I don't know where to go. From that's there. that one's yeah. that is coming out, but it'll go at the end. So. Oh God. All right. Uh, start the question again. I guess. I guess. All right. Uh, We'll go uh, three, two, one.